With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, today certainly got interesting, didn't it? Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The full number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. You want to get the show notes, text the word show to 444 999 y'all the Roy Moore story you know okay let me let me walk you through the story about Roy Moore over in Alabama from several different angles uh we will get to the charges and accusations but I I want to start somewhere else because I actually talked to one of his uh, top supporters this morning it was kind of funny we talked uh this morning and he was saying he was a little bit concerned that everything was so quiet over there wasn't just the Roy Moore campaign. It was uh, the race in general was kind of quiet. And he thought that anti-Trump Republicans, as he called them, anti-Trump Republicans and Democrats were working together under the radar to hand this race to the Democrats. And very, very upset about it, convinced the Democrats and Republicans are plotting to stop Roy Moore. Remember, uh, Mitch McConnell actually blocked Mo Brooks, uh, ran a nasty campaign against Mo Brooks, who was the third person in the race, to stop him from getting into the runoff with Luther Strange. Uh, McConnell was convinced that if they could get Luther Strange into the runoff with Roy Moore, Roy Moore would be easier to beat than Mo Brooks. So they piled on Mo Brooks, got Roy Moore into the runoff, and Luther Strange lost. And there's been this prevailing presumption that Roy Moore is a bad guy who the Republicans hate and they want to take him out, and now you've got this... And there really is a dog pile happening. All of these Republicans in the Senate rushing out to denounce Roy Moore. Uh, so I called this buddy of mine back who was lamenting that McConnell wanted to take him out. They convinced that this is a Republican hit job. Convinced that this is Republicans in Washington working to take out Roy Moore. They're convinced of it. The The people I know on the Moore campaign are as well. They don't believe it. They do not believe the allegations. They love Roy Moore. And they are convinced that this is a Republican and Democrat coordinated effort to get rid of Roy Moore. Now, uh, let me say this to cap all of that off. It speaks volumes of the incompetence of Mitch McConnell and the Republican establishment political class in Washington that these allegations have been out there for years 
And they could not drag this out in the primary. They could not get it out there. They could not do it in the runoff. They could not take out Roy Moore. This is a staggering incompetence from the Republican Party, staggering incompetence from Mitch McConnell, who hates Roy Moore, who does not want Roy Moore in the Senate, who tried to stop Roy Moore, that they couldn't get this story out there. I mean, kudos to the Washington Post. And listen, it may be a hit job, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. I mean, the question is, how do you get to the truth? Okay, so the allegations uh, about Roy Moore take place 35, 40 years ago. And some of you are going to dismiss it because of that. I don't think you should. Uh, whether you dismiss it or not, you shouldn't dismiss it because of the time. I mean, we know in these cases, it, sometimes that these stories don't get out for a very long time. But it, it is, uh, here's why the story is ringing with credibility for a number of people. Um, and that is because these are multiple girls who were all approximately the same age who did not know each other and do not know each other. Uh, at least one of them is a big Trump supporter, not a Democrat, a known Trump supporter. And, uh, they are coming forward with very similar stories that Roy Moore inappropriately sexually touched them when he was in his early thirties and they were teenagers. Uh, and, one of the women has been claiming this for a while uh, and has made documented attempts to claim it for a while. Uh, and the media in Alabama has largely ignored it. This is a Washington Post story, not an Alabama-originated story. And that's what's striking here. Listen, I was not a criminal law expert when I was a lawyer. I did indigent, indigent criminal defense work. But I have done sexual harassment work, uh, things like that. I do know people who were sexually assaulted, uh, and I have discussed these things with them. I know prosecutors who deal with this stuff regularly, and there tends to be a pattern that is coming out in this story. It is really, really rare that the abused, assaulted victims are completely different. You know, if you want to go out on a tangent here, this Kevin Spacey story, if you look at all the young men coming forward saying he sexually harassed them, they all look fairly similar to each other. People have types. So that's one of the red flags for people here is you have uh, different young ladies who all look the same. They don't know each other. They're not related, but they all look somewhat the same. They all provide the same sort of story, uh, the same fact pattern. Uh, they, they don't appear to have been coached. And, the, of course, that's going to be one of the speculations from the Roy Moore team is that these young ladies were coached. This is a partisan hit job. They're already claiming it. Um, they're trying to dismiss it. The Roy Moore team has come out and denied it vociferously. I don't think you can dismiss it. I think you have to take it seriously. The question, though, is if you take it seriously, what do you do? Roy Moore is innocent until proven guilty. And he's not going to be proven guilty. There's going to be no trial. So it hangs on the weight of who you believe. And there are lots and lots of people who hate Roy Moore and are very, very quick to throw him under the bus, including Mitch McConnell. And the pile on by all the senators that they're willing to get rid of him. I, I'm No, I am not defending him. I don't know the truth of this case. And I would not dismiss these victims because in my experience, in my education, 
in talking to the people I know who are experts, when you have multiple different young women who all look the same and have the same story, they don't know each other, uh, that tends to suggest there is truth there. And if true, he should resign. Better a Democrat than a kid toucher in the Senate. Um, yes, it is fair to point out that Democrats out West and what Oregon, uh, have protected a pedophile in office for a number of years, but so the, just because the other side doesn't, doesn't mean your side should that, that article that, that doesn't work for me. It doesn't work. The question though, is this true? And the question is, does it matter? And I don't know that it matters. Because Roy Moore can double down on this, pound his chest, say he is innocent, this is a hit job, and I suspect a great many people in Alabama will believe him. And the question is, will people in Alabama choose a Democrat over Roy Moore for something like this? I honestly don't know. I mean, it's very clear that nothing ever since the Trump tape came out, nothing matters. I don't know whether it matters or not. What I do know, and this is my overarching view of this whole story, is it is really amazing that this story has been out there for a while with these multiple victims and a Republican Party political class that hates Roy Moore was never able to get this story out. It took the Democrats and the Washington Post to do it. That, to me, is really amazing. Okay, so I took the pork chops from, um, this is, the, the ad is over. Uh, for the ad people listening, it's, uh, but I'm talking about my cooking for a minute. So they were boneless pork chops. You pound them out thin, and then you dip them in some flour, and then in a, an egg wash, I use buttermilk and egg, and then in panko breadcrumbs, panko, so they get the crunchy there. And then you skillet fry, they were fantastic. I mean, tender, delicious. Y'all, we're going to have to do another. And, you know, sweet Laura, who was the chef of the Publix in Alpharetta, she, she's moved to to beautiful parts up north where it's probably cold now. Um, it, we're going to have to find a place where we can do another cooking school one night, I guess, because I miss doing that with you guys. I'm just telling you, the, those pork chops I made, fantastic. Yes, they were. Now, you know who else is having trouble? In fact, there's more buzz about this today than about Roy Moore other than among the political class is Louis C.K. He is accused by five different women of uh, shitting his pants and pleasuring himself in front of them. This has been out there for a while. This this has been a long time coming. In fact, um, there's one story out there that he actually called and apologized to one of the people and called the wrong number. Yeah. Um, but this has been out there for a while and we're seeing more and more of these things. Now there's a hotel you're out. Jason Bateman's wife, the actor, his wife is coming forward. Uh, he with her to talk about what a hotel year did. Uh, my goodness. And can I just say that all you people in Hollywood who are blasting Roy Moore today, uh, please spare me until you stop covering for pedophiles in Hollywood. Please let the rest of us take it. Um, Goodness gracious. Okay. When we come back, I want to move on from the Roy Moore situation. Uh, I'll bring you the updates that we can, but I've got to get into the tax reform issue. The Republicans in the House Ways and Means Committee today have locked in what they want for tax reform. I'll tell you what it is. 39 after the hour, Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. 
I would like to thank those of you who participated in the action alert on the adoption tax credit. And I want to be clear here because I've gotten some angry emails from people. I actually am of the position that there should be no credits and no deductions in the tax code. Not the charitable deduction, not the home mortgage interest deduction, not the child tax credit, nothing. There should be no deductions and no credits in the tax code. The tax code should be extremely simple and it should be for the purposes of raising revenue to fund the government, not for social engineering. That unfortunately is not the world we live in. The world we live in is a world where both parties try to incentivize and disincentivize behavior. And one of the behaviors that they try to incentivize is good business. One of the behaviors they try to disincentivize is bad business. One of the behaviors that they should incentivize is families. And for a Republican Party that's continuing to fund Planned Parenthood, for it to scrap the adoption tax credit is, to me, a bridge too far for me to be able to support that party. It really is. And I realize it's one thing, but it is just the straw that broke the camel's back. You're going to be the the pro-life, pro-family party, but you're going to fund Planned Parenthood and you're going to kill the adoption tax credit that really does benefit the middle class, even though Speaker Ryan said he didn't think it did. It does. There, there's overwhelming data that the uh, adoption tax credit goes to help middle-income and upper-middle-income families. It does not help the rich because you're capped at about $200,000 who can take it. It does not help the, the lower-income folks who pay no income taxes because you got to pay income taxes to be able to take it. Well, thankfully, they have restored it. Kevin Brady, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, that committee that writes the tax code, has restored the adoption tax credit. Thankfully. Uh, it was the right thing to do, and it was very frustrating yesterday that uh, people didn't. Now, I, I want to tell you about you guys, my listeners. And I, I say this uh, because, you know, more than 90% of the people who listen to the podcast actually are out of state, don't listen to it in Atlanta. But between the podcast listeners out of state and the live listeners in state, we generated more than 10,000 social media messages and emails to members of Congress. And in two hours today, generated over 5,000 phone calls to Congress to save the adoption tax credit. That's you guys. That's not me. That's you. You did this. Children do not have lobbyists in Washington, D.C. There are some who think they are. They're just uh, there for left-wing interest groups. Uh, children and families don't have real lobbyists in Washington. And it is the lobbyists that Congress tends to listen to. Today, Congress listened to families. They listen to you. They listen to their constituents who want this tax credit kept. And you are deserved a world of thanks for being willing to pick up your phone. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I can offer up the activist center at the resurgent to be able to do things like this. But uh, the number of people in Georgia, by the way, overwhelmingly the Georgia delegation, David Perdue, Johnny Isaacson, and the various Republican and Democratic members of Congress from Georgia were overwhelmed with people, but it was a nationwide effort. Uh, podcast listeners, resurgent readers, just an um, amazing amount of people were willing to engage 
and I appreciate it. Have you all heard about the story? An FBI counterterrorism supervisor is under internal investigation after a woman stole his gun following a night of heavy drinking in a North Carolina hotel, according to documents and government officials. Robert Manson, unit chief in the FBI's International Terrorism Section, had his Glock 40, a $6,000 Rolex watch, and $60 in cash stolen from his room at the Westin in Charlotte, North Carolina. Haven't you all had that happen to you? Haven't you all been out on a night on the town and had a woman steal your gun Rolex and 60 bucks? I, I mean, who among us? <laughs> Just what the heck? This is This is horrifying. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time in the final years of the Obama administration wondering what was going on with the Secret Service. And part of me wonders, what is going on with the FBI? I mean, you got this story, you got the, the issue with Hillary Clinton and all that. I just, what the heck is going on? Is there something in the water at the FBI? I, 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 I honestly, I don't know. But it seems like there are problems at the FBI, uh, disciplinary problems and other things. There are a lot of good agents. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to cast aspersions on the vast number of good people out there who work for the FBI. But there just there seems to be something in the water at a disciplinary level uh, in the Secret Service and in parts of the FBI. Just amazing. I... We live in a fallen world. Well, here's your interesting story of the day. Uh, Donald Trump's former security chief said that in 2013, he was the president. He, Donald Trump, was offered women on a trip to Moscow. Keith Schiller uh, privately testified he rejected the offer by Russians to send five women to Donald Trump's hotel room in 2013 during a trip to Moscow for the Miss Universe pageant, according to multiple people. Now, remember, there was the um, allegation in the dossier that BuzzFeed got, that BuzzFeed apparently is being sued for now, about some of the salacious stuff. I, y'all, I think BuzzFeed's getting sued for that, and this is the thing. Um, when there are real allegations, it makes it very hard for people to take the real allegations seriously when so many of the false allegations are being treated as real. It's unfortunate. When the false things are claimed to be real and you get attacked for dismissing them because they're false, well, it makes it harder for the truth to come through. But we're seeing that across the board with these attacks on the president. Now, when we come back, I want to shift gears. Uh, I want to spend some more time on the tax plan. There actually is, believe it or not, loads of other news out there. The tax plan, first and foremost, against them, uh, against them about it. We need to get into it, break down what they're doing. I will tell you that the Senate plan looks like it probably will advance more. Bo Bergdahl may be entitled to $300,000. I've got the details on that. But before we get into any of that, there's an amazing story on the Politico today about Trump voters. Michael Cruz, who writes for the Politico, went to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which was a coal-mining steel town. It fell on hard times with the collapse of the steel industry and the coal wind-down of the coal-mining industry. And it is where Donald Trump won the presidency. It is places like that, that that were left behind by Republicans and Democrats alike, and people turned to Donald Trump. And 
he has an amazing profile of the area, and a lot of people in Washington are just enraged by it. They shouldn't be. It just really is a fascinating profile of these people and why Donald Trump probably will win re-election in 2020. No one wants to pay attention to that angle of it. But he's very upfront about it in 2020. He may very well win re-election if these people stick with him like they're doing and why they're sticking with him. That's the most amazing part of it is why they're sticking with him. We'll get into that and so much more when we come back here on WSB. I have returned. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Nine after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. And if you would like the show notes, text the word SHOW to 444-999. I want to spend a few minutes here looking into the future a little bit because one of the things that uh, amazes political watchers really is that for a large segment of President Trump's base he can do no wrong and it is one of the most fascinating things because we saw it with Barack Obama and the thing is that Democrats will never admit it Democrats are loath to admit the fact that this was true with Barack Obama they, they don't want to believe it, but he can get away with anything. Barack Obama could have shot someone on Fifth Avenue and gotten away with it with his voters. But he would never do that, Mr. Erickson. Whatever. But so Michael Cruz at Politico has a very long piece on going to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where there are a lot of people who are big supporters of the president. Um, they are people who are lifelong Democrats. They supported Barack Obama, but they flipped. They've gone Trump. Let me read you a paragraph here. All of this, perhaps, is not so surprising. This after an interview with a woman who says there's nothing anyone could do or say to get her to ditch Trump. All of this, perhaps, is not so surprising, considering polling continues to show that, in spite of unprecedented unpopularity, Nearly all the people who voted for Trump would do it again. But as I compared this year's answers to last year's responses, it seemed clear that the basis of people's support had morphed. Johnstown voters do not intend to hold the president accountable for the non-negotiable pledges he made to them. It's not that the people who made Trump president have generously moved the goalposts for him. It's that they've eliminated the goalposts. The reality ought to get the attention of anyone who thinks they will win in 2018 or 2020 by running against Trump's record. His supporters here, it turns out, are energized by his bombast and his animus more than any actual accomplishments. For them, it's evidently not what he's doing so much as it is the people he's fighting. Trump is simply and unceasingly angry on their behalf, battling the people who vex them the most, obstructionist Democrats, uncooperative establishment Republicans, the media, Black Lives Matters protesters, NFL players. Boy, oh boy, do they hate kneeling NFL players who they see as ungrateful, disrespectful millionaires, and they love him for it. It's true. I run into this all of the time, all of the time. People who they, they they blame the Republicans for Trump's failures to keep his promises. They blame the Democrats. They blame everybody but Trump. And even then, they'll concede, okay, he's new. He doesn't know how to do this, but it's not his fault. And even if it is, it's okay because he's my guy. I mean, it, it is the force is strong with that one. It is amazing. 
Uh, and, and it's something that the White House knows. But it is also something a lot of other people don't appreciate, and it's going to have real impact moving forward for a lot of people. There's a key part of this interview that you need to pay attention to for what's to come. Let me read you again what I think is the key standout part of all of this. For them, for these Trump voters, for these people who are disappointed, uh, but they love Trump still. It's not what he's doing so much as the people he's fighting. Trump is simply and unceasingly angry on their behalf, battling the people who vexed them the worst. Democrats, establishment Republicans, the media, Black Lives Matters protesters, NFL players. I, I just, I've got a sense, and I'm willing to be wrong. I, I may very well be wrong. There is definitely a Democratic wave coming, and I don't think we can dispute it. I mean, the more people are analyzing what happened in Virginia, the more it is clear Democratic voters are fired up in ways they have not been fired up about since 2006 when they were ready to shut down the war effort uh, to stop George W. Bush. They are that fired up. In fact, I got data from a pollster we'll get into in a little bit telling me that the 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 anger patterns, the opinion patterns, uh, the voter patterns— Right now, the voter registration numbers all look very similar to 2006, 2010, and 2014. That is uh, your aggressive change midterms. And Republicans need to be prepared for that. But here's the thing. Are Democrats going to overplay their hand? Are, are they going to overplay their hand on social experimentation, social justice warrior nonsense? transgenderism, men in women's bathrooms, uh, in your face, squabbling over Confederate monuments and tearing down George Washington monuments and throwing paint on Abraham Lincoln monuments. Are the Democrats going to get so overwhelmed by their left-wing base that they succumb to the far-left madness that has invaded college campuses? And to some degrees, it looks like they are. It really does. It looks like they've lost their freaking minds. I mean, look at Virginia and the exit poll, and 53% of Virginia voters said don't touch the Confederate monuments, and yet you would think that a majority of people in the country want to tear them all down because the left is screaming about it so much and it's all the media covers. You would think that everyone thinks that transgenderism is okay and normal when most people don't. By the way, I ran into this this morning. Uh, angry left-wing activists mad at me for saying that a trans female is just a man with mental health issues. They don't need our celebration. They need our care and prayers. They do. But they're mad about it. They're trying to get me thrown off Twitter. As I speak, there is a movement on Twitter to try to get me banned on Twitter for saying that. And I just wonder if these people are overplaying their hand. I wonder if... They've gone so far left, and it is making people mad. Now, there's data in Virginia that suggests not, because there are Republicans in Virginia who went with uh, state legislators and the governor there. They went Democrat, even though they're identified as Republican and have a consistent pattern of voting Republican. They are college-educated white voters who went Democrat and have never done so before. And that should deeply trouble Republicans, and it is today. They're, they've got heartburn in Washington over it. But a lot of these people, if push comes to shove, they, they don't think that the Democrats in the Virginia legislature will give in to the madness. They don't think that the Democrats that they voted, including, including Ralph Northam, will side with the social justice warrior nonsense. If they do, it's going to be a problem for them. 
The problem is in Washington, you have people like Tom Steyer, the billionaire gay rights activist who's running the impeach Trump ads, who want to get Democrats on record impeaching Trump and whatnot. That's not going to go over well with a lot of people. And if these Trump voters are convinced that a Democratic Congress would force the impeachment of Donald Trump, they may turn out at a rate that the Democrats aren't expecting. The Democrats very well could play over their, overplay their hands is what I'm saying here. And I think there's a very real possibility. This is not to dismiss that a wave is coming. A wave is coming. A wave is coming. We're seeing it. We saw it in Georgia in special elections no one is paying attention to. We saw it in the Virginia House of Delegates. We saw it with the Virginia governor's race. We are seeing the makings of a Democratic wave. The Democratic National Committee may be on the verge of bankruptcy, but the Democratic candidates are beating the Republicans 5-1 to one in spending. This is a very big deal people aren't paying attention to, and people need to pay attention to it, but there is still the possibility and still time for Democrats to overplay their hands, and part of me really wonders if that's not what they're going to do. So the Twitters are a buzz that the next big scandal to break in Hollywood will be John Travolta. There have long been rumors about Travolta, uh, long been rumors. And I, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know whether they're true or not. That That's the rumor now. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, my buddy Ryan will remember Smallville. Yeah, he may be listening right now. I watch, he was, he's a huge Smallville fan. I watched Smallville when I was in college, law school. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the DC universe right now on the CW. I, I just kind of lost interest in Arrow and, and The Flash. And I never even got into, what is it, Legends of Tomorrow, whatever. Just all the, the social justice warrior nonsense after a while kind of put me off Arrow and, and never really got into The Flash. So it just got hokey at the end of the second season. I gave up on it pretty quick. Um, I guess I'm hitting that age. But Smallville, um, Allison Mack uh, was, played Chloe Sullivan. She's kind of dropped out of acting since the end of that show. I don't think she's been in much, but supposedly she's the second command of a cult that is under investigation for extorting, beating, and branding its members, including the daughter of Catherine Oxenberg. So those of you who are older than me will remember the show Dynasty. I was a kid when that show was on. Um, I don't know what she's done since then, but apparently her daughter got dragged into this. It's a sex cult. Uh, it's a self-help group, NXIVM. I don't know. Uh, some guy, Keith Rainier. I don't know. Uh, Allison Mack is the one though. She's the second in command. Apparently this is a, the daily mail is reporting this story and it's getting all sorts of buzz, but, uh, because it's not as sorted a scandal as some of these others, it's not getting the buzz that, well, the Kevin Spacey story and others, he's out of a job. Christopher Plummer will be replacing him in a Netflix series. I believe it is. I wonder if Christopher Plummer will also be replacing Roy Moore in the Alabama Senate race. I don't know. We'll find out. You got Louis C.K. His film premiere has been canceled. Um, he's been pulled from an appearance on the Colbert show after the New York Times story about his personal life. Hollywood is continuing to implode. And I, I say all of that to say this. Hollywood, please let the rest of us deal with the Roy Moore issue while you continue to cover up the pedophile scandal out there while you continue to cover for people and make excuses for people and say, oh, everybody knew, but no one said anything. Y'all y'all just let the rest of us handle the, the Roy Moore situation. Why don't you? You're morally preening. Uh, the other scandal I should note has been in the uh, the National Enquirer, and I, I don't, 
know that anything, any statements have been released uh, about Charlie Sheen and what was it, the the actor Corey Haim, that there was abuse. Uh, mercy. I'm, well, there's just Hollywood really needs to clean up its own act. Before we... Before we get any more moral preening from Hollywood, I really do wish they would just take a little while and clean up their own house. I want to tell you guys a little bit about what I'm doing tonight after the show. Um, it's it's near me. Uh, I don't have to be there till 730, so I'm good. Um, not far to get to, but... I'm talking at a fundraiser for Caring Solutions, which is one of the uh, crisis pregnancy centers in Georgia and women's clinics in Georgia. And they have worked very, very hard to be a full-service women's clinic. They they do ultrasounds. They have counseling, um, money management skills. Uh, they're working to get their zoning taken care of to be able to do... Um, other basic healthcare services um, that uh, if you draw blood, for example, in, in certain situations, zoning laws can uh, complicate your situation. And they're trying, but they're getting the runaround and they're getting the runaround uh, by planning and zoning, among other things, because they don't do abortions. They do everything, but they don't do that. And because they don't do that, they are being attacked uh, regularly now by left-wing activists who call them a fake clinic. Uh, They are a fake clinic that is certified uh, by one of the premier certification groups in the nation for clinics. Um, They are fantastically certified. But... They're under attack, withering attack by the left. They have people show up to protest. They have people call trying to entrap the the ladies who answer the phones. And so it's I'm glad to lend them support. And, you know, I have said before, the number one reason, and I am it is very funny to say, but I'm I'm not joking. The number one reason that I went to seminary is because of this program. I talk so much about faith and culture that I kept getting asked repeatedly if I would fill in on Sundays for preachers in small churches who they didn't have somebody else and they were wondering if I would like to do it. Or I've had a number of preachers ask if I would come speak on Sunday at their church, Uh, not necessarily in a preacher role, but speak basically giving the Sunday sermon. And I just really felt uncomfortable doing it. Uh, because I had not been to seminary and I really felt strongly I needed to go to seminary to be able to do that. So I went to seminary. Uh, I'm still in seminary and it is amazing. I'm going to reform, uh, reform theological seminary, which they've got their campus in Marietta, uh, near Delcro, but it's on Terrell mill. Uh, you can see it from the interstate up there just north of Windy Hill. And all these churches, they found I'm going to reform seminary. They're like, Whoa, Whoa, buddy. So it's nice tonight to be able to speak more theologically. It's for a fundraiser, but I'm going to speak on uh, Jeremiah 29, uh, seek the welfare of the city in which you're exiled, and on Luke 16 about the the shrewd or the dishonest steward, which is probably one of the most difficult parables. And it was very, very funny because I had largely convinced myself I was going to do this, and that's the direction I was going to go in the speech tonight. 
But the the parable of the shrewd or dishonest steward is probably the most difficult parable in the New Testament. One of the most difficult ones for sure. And in class yesterday, I'm taking the Gospels class in seminary, and that we spent probably two hours on that parable. And it was just wonderful and divine inspiration and really helpful and really encouraging for me to be able to give this uh, speech, sermony speech tonight. I've only preached a few times. I'm happy to come fill in at your church. Now, I feel comfortable doing it now, uh, going through seminary now. It's been several years. I'm still a little ways from my degree, but I've enjoyed preaching uh, more than I ever thought I would. It's way more intimidating than being here with you guys every night. Uh, vastly more preparation and prayer involved in that. But it's it's nice to help this group and to educate myself on the great, great things that these clinics do in Georgia. And they are being hounded and harassed by so many left-wing activists solely because they won't kill kids. It's unbelievable. Uh, but, a, but a great, great group, and I'm happy to help them. Uh, and it's fascinating to see in a conservative state like Georgia uh, how left-wing activists continue to hound them at the local level where they can target local liberals on planning and zoning commissions. Fascinating. Perhaps the most useful skill I ever acquired in law school was doing a trifold folder for um, mock trial preparation with the note cards and the outlines and all that. I rarely write out stuff for speeches, but whenever I do sermons, I, I like to do this. And so the verse, uh, it's it's Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, which is great advice for all of us, I think. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I'd been meditating on this passage for a while, even before getting asked to do the speech. And I got to tell you, a, a great part of it is because as you and I have talked about on this program, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in Washington, we forget to seek the welfare of our city. And I really do think the more I study the 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 wordplay and the Greek and the Hebrew, and, and now I don't do Greek and Hebrew, but I have great software programs that help me do that. It it very much does seem that the intention there is actually the, the city the local region where you are, not Washington. That that's not to say don't take don't think about Washington. We are we're to think about the nation, to think about the empire and in, in the language of the Bible. But we get so wrapped up in it sometimes we forget the local community. We forget the local groups, and so much of it is local. And we got to take care of our local groups. We got to take care of the homeless in our area. We've got to take care of the local pro-life community. We've got to take care of the, the local kids, the homeschoolers and whatnot. And so often that gets lost. And I'm so happy to be able to meditate on that tonight and on, on how kingdom ethics should apply in our lives today. It's just, it's seminary really has, I get asked about it a lot. Seminary has been very rewarding. I am glad I have done it. So the Country Music Awards were last night, and I don't really keep up with a lot of country music. I I like Johnny Cash and George Jones, all of the modern stuff. I mean, there's some of it. I mean, Carrie Underwood, I'm I'm Reba McIntyre. I adore Reba McIntyre. But apparently some guy got on stage last night and made a big stink about um, 
social justice warrior nonsense, and he's being heralded as as speaking truth to power and country. I, I've never even heard of the guy. I don't know. And, you know, even though I don't keep up with it, I know most of the major country artists out there right now, and I know a couple of them live here and, and listen to the show. One of them lives up in Nashville and uh, listens to the podcast. But I, 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 I've never heard of this guy, and nobody else seems to have either. It's amazing what the left will do to build heroes uh, out of whole cloth. Anyway, I ran along in the last segment, so I don't have a lot of time here. Uh, if you would, please um, put me on your prayer list right now before I go deliver this sermony style speech. It's not quite a sermon, not quite a speech, a little bit of both. Um, and if you want me to come speak at your church, I am happy to. Uh, now I feel comfortable doing it. Um, you can shoot me an email, eric at theresurgent.com. Otherwise, I will see you guys tomorrow night, and we'll open up the phone lines tomorrow night. Y'all have a good night.